0: Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Uh, for more interviews and resources uh, on the business and craft of screenwriting, check out our website, ScriptsAndScribes.com. Today, we're chatting with a writer who's been on FX's The Strain uh, and Imagine Entertainment's Mars. He's best known for developing shows such as Extant, starring Halle Berry, and currently airing Wednesday nights at 10:9 central on NBC, Reverie. If you haven't checked it out, you definitely should. Reverie. A virtual program where the impossible becomes possible. But some of our users are so addicted, they're trapped. I want you to go inside and bring them home. In here, you get to be who you want. You get to do what you want. But this isn't real. I've only been here a couple days. You've been here for two weeks.
1: I promise I'm going to do everything I can to bring your dad back.
0: We were talking earlier, and I would describe it as sort of a cross between Westworld and This Is Us, which so I love it. we can get into <laughs> it, but I mean, I, I definitely, it has the heart of a This Is Us, but it also it deals with that sort of virtual worlds. He, he's a friend. He's an all-around great guy. He is Mickey Fisher. Thanks for coming back on, Mickey. Thanks for having me. Um, before we delve into all the writing stuff, uh, let's tell everyone to watch Reverie. Wednesday nights, ten nine central on NBC. Yes, please check it out. But, yeah.
1: yeah, no, please watch it. And, and the yeah, the cast is
0: always live tweeting and jump in if you're on Twitter. Come and join us for the conversation about it too. Because that's your new show. Yeah, um, and it's a show about virtual reality. In a nutshell, maybe you can tell us what is Reverie all about for those sure. who haven't seen it yet. Uh, Reverie is about it's a, about a
1: company that. Uh, has created this fully immersive virtual reality program called Reverie um, that is basically like you can design and build the world of your dreams. Like you can go anywhere you want, you could do whatever you want. You could, uh, you know, if Paris is your favorite place, you can go to Paris. If you want to climb Mount Everest, you could build and climb Mount Everest. Um, and uh, but it's also sort of deeper than that. You could also um, visit people from your past. Like if you had a grandmother that you desperately miss uh, who had passed away, if you have enough pictures and video and voicemails and all those sorts of things you can essentially recreate that person in reverie. Um, and so the thing is, it's so uh, addictive that people start getting stuck and not wanting to come back. Uh, and they're, uh, and so it, meanwhile, in the real world, their bodies are, are falling into disrepair, uh, going into a coma, and so the company has, has this huge problem to solve. And they turn to this woman, uh, Mara Kent, who was a former hostage negotiator, because um, they're looking for somebody, uh, they need somebody who's, Train in the art of extraction Somebody right. who's, who is who's capable of Going in and making A connection with somebody Very quickly A very deep connection um, And to convince them to, to, to come out To figure out What their problem is And so uh, And so uh, Mara as played by Sarah Shahi uh, Week to week She's going into These different reveries And meeting these Different people And there's really this um, There are two big parts Of the show One is this uh, episodic engine, which is there's a, there's a, this emotional we call it emotional procedural at the heart of it. Why is this person stuck? Uh, what is it about the reverie that's keeping them there that mm-hmm. that makes them think it's sort of better than the real world? And then there's this bigger serialized mystery, which is that the more that Mara is doing this, the more that she's connected with these people in the virtual world, the more that her own grasp on reality is, starts to fall apart. Right. And sort of like this question of what's happening to her and uh, and and ultimately like what's this person who is sort of quote unquote superpower is empathy. You know what happens if this if this could be the thing that drives her over the edge and uh, and so really those are the two big parts of it
0: right and in terms of the the episodic element I noticed that uh, and I'm just throwing this in on a side note because I've, I have seen your show and I do enjoy it thank you um, it's not just the emotional uh, uh, you know storyline of every episode of of why these people are trapped, so to speak, in the reveries and have a difficult time coming out. I noticed in the last episode, which I won't ruin it as a spoiler, in case anyone hasn't seen it, you can check it out you know, on NBC, I'm sure, .com yeah. or, or Hulu or wherever. Um, iTunes. iTunes. Um, but you you switch it up a lot. Like in the last episode, in episode 5, at the time of this airing, in episode 5, it was very different in yeah. terms of it wasn't just going in to bring someone out it was very different, and I think that, that what the show does well, what you guys do well as writers, is is mixing that up because a lot of procedurals, a lot of episodics, they tend to be just a different flavor of the week, a murder of the week kind of thing. Uh, and those shows, I think, that are, are most successful or those that, that do the, the best job are the ones that really throw you curveballs. And so far, yeah. in mean, five episodes, it's been different every episode. You've managed to yeah, keep it thanks. sort of fresh. You know, part of that is,
1: I think, um, when it was a testament to... Uh, the showrunner, Thompson Jurgy, who's really my you know biggest partner in the whole thing. Right. Uh, and the writing staff is that we really challenge ourselves because, you know, weeks a week, it's, it, you know, if you were trying to do every week, like, somebody's stuck, they're going to die if Mara doesn't get them out. Sure. She has to figure out. And, and like, that could get repetitive over time. Um, and so we really challenge ourselves to find new and interesting ways and creative ways, uh, not only, like, our, the way that people are using the program, but also the way that, uh that our are people are challenged to f- to figure out the answers or the problems right. that they can solve, um, but it's also sort of rooted in the concept of self because virtual reality is a thing that and people have been using it for years to to uh, to as a therapy uh, mm-hmm. for uh, phobias and people have been using it for um, you know, treatment of PTSD and all these sort of different things. And so it's um, so for me, part of the fun is like, what are the different uses for this technology? What are the ways that you can exp- uh, the stories you can tell? The avenues that you can explore that aren't just like this dystopian sort of nightmare of people uh, being too engaged in their, in, in their devices, right. you know, and, and, uh, or, or, you know, that's the sort of jumping-off point. But there's this whole other rich tapestry of stories to tell, people from all walks of life. Uh, we had an episode about a guy... I mean, spoiler alert, this will have already aired by them, but episode four was about a guy who was using it to plan a heist, essentially. Right. You know, he had built the building that he wanted to steal something from, and he was rehearsing it in there, which...
0: Which yeah. is a great storyline Thank way. you yeah.
1: yeah I mean that was Kind of one that we we're like Oh yeah people would Use it for this You know right. like that Hadn't really occurred to us Until we really got into the, uh, You know the nuts and bolts Of figuring out these stories uh, And that's one that When once we started Thinking about it It's like well of course That would make sense Like if you wanted to You know if you could Build a fully immersive 3D uh, rendering of Fort Knox And the comings and goings And the cameras sure. And security guards so well, that's not what The story is but uh, But but. But that's something that you could do. You could rehearse it, sure, know, and, and do it. And so, like uh, to me, it's just like the concept that gives us those opportunities
0: and those uh, all that potential for those kind of stories. Right. Talking about Reverie as a series, because um, you created Extant, and that's a story that, in if you are interested in how Mickey got his start, uh, creating the show Extant with Halle Berry and oh, a little director named Steven Spielberg. Yep. <laughs> um, it's on our website, scriptsandscribes.com. You did a couple other podcasts. One of them, you talked about the whole extant process, which is terrific. You've become a hero to writers out there everywhere to show that, that you don't have to be an insider. You don't have to know a ton of people to make it. Yeah. Uh, you do have to be talented and have to be really awesome like Mickey. I know. I mean, it's, I, you, know, you and I were talking about this beforehand. It's right. Sort of like the, I mean, I always feel like
1: the two parts of the story are that it took me 20 years to get to that point. Sure. Like, I spent 20 years... Writing, making, uh, trying everything To break in, like I was writing tons of scripts I never stopped writing new stuff Uh, I tried, you know, query letters I tried entering contests, I made my own stuff uh, And I finally broke in And so, like, but I was always writing something new And so it sort of validated two things Which I, uh, one thing I always believed And one thing which I always suspected Which the first thing is, if you have the right piece of material At the right time uh, You know, the right material, the right time, the right place uh, it can open the door for you mm-hmm. And it did And so that it, d- it does happen But the other thing It does like it, There is a little element Of luck involved Which is that You know like That's At any point If one person Hadn't liked the script uh, You know Or like You know It hadn't gotten That far in the content Like sure. I I I wouldn't be sitting here With you right now right. Possibly So um, So yeah I think that those Those two things Are like but, you, but the uh, old thing, of, like you create
0: your own luck. Like right, the, more that you, the more that you write new stuff, the more you put it out there, the more chances you have. So. And if luck comes around and you have the opportunity, but you're not prepared, you don't have the material, you're, yeah. you're not ready, or your material's not ready. Then it's gone, and, and there was it, just a long you know. period of my life where I
1: wouldn't have been ready right you know like I would have if there, you know if I'd had one great idea and i'd I'd written it well enough that somebody was compelled to buy it and, right. you know maybe produce it um but I don't know if I would have parlayed that into you know a second show or sure. or work on other shows or because um, I just wouldn't have been prepared so when it actually happened, I mean I was forty years old when it happened, so like had right. twenty years of like you know grinding away at it, so I, right. I, I felt like i was I was
0: pretty prepared. What is that old saying that goes uh, uh the old stone cutter hits the rock uh, uh, a thousand times before it breaks, but it's not the last hit that did it, but the thousand that came before yeah.
1: it. I love that. So,
0: yeah, yeah it's it's definitely that hitting that, that stone until it breaks. Yeah. And it's not that last hit that does it necessarily. It's everything that led up to yeah. that point. Got to get up every day and swing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and even if it's just talking yeah. about learning and growing as as a writer and as a person, and, you know, it's all of that ex- life's experiences that go into your work. Yeah. You know, all that comes, comes to play. 100%. Um, but also building a career, because uh, I've met and, and spoken to a number of, of show creators who create a show, it goes on the air, and uh, you know whether it's mo- one season or multiple seasons, afterwards they have a hard time finding work for whatever reason. Creatively, they're just not there, or personality-wise. But you've you've been able to develop not only one show, which is like winning the lottery, two shows, and you know when they say the first time. You know, anyone can get lucky one time, but to build a whole career, there's something there. You know what I mean? Like, any, yeah. <laughs> like, like <laughs> in baseball, every, like you have the one-hit wonder or the the baseball player who hits yeah. one great season. But to be able to do it over and over, to work on other shows like The Strain and Mars, and then you've got a new show, Reverie, and so there's obviously something there, both skill-wise and you know just it's a lesson to be a, a good person.
1: You're funny, you know, it's funny about the baseball analogy, because it, yeah. I always think about, it, in terms of, like, the being the good person, Yeah, uh, I did this, um, made, helped this guy, this artist from, I think he's from Portland, make this short documentary uh, called Cut Off Men, and it was one of those living in Santa Ana, and it was, uh, this place called the Grand Central Arts Center, and they, uh, the, the director there was really big into, like, um, social practice, Part. and so this artist came down and we did this thing where he took he had been a baseball player in college really felt like he'd missed out he'd lost his shot and so he wanted to take a bunch of guys who were similar to him uh guys who were a little older uh who who missed their shot take them to the open tryouts in compton hmm. uh where they're basically like you know s- baseball scouts and it's and it really is just sort of like anybody can show up and do it like you and i could go if we wanted to we'd probably get cut really early on like i get cut right off the bat <laughs> right in fact, there's like a, there's a scene in the documentary where they're you know they're giving the speech of the guys you know at the beginning of the day, and, and one of the guys who's leading it says, you know, look if you're you know if you're if you pushing 300 pounds and you you know you you run the 40 in you know 30 seconds is like not probably not going to happen for <laughs> right, you. you know? like, right. He's like, we're going to crush a lot of dreams today. Um, but during, over the course of the day, like while we were filming and and hanging out, there was this old guy sitting in a chair. There are lots of scouts there too, so you know tons of scouts. Uh, there was an old guy sitting in a chair behind me who uh, all the young players are coming up to and basically kissing the ring of the Pope. You know, mm-hmm. I'm talking to this guy. And I heard him say this thing, and I've told it, I've repeated this a hundred times. You may, I might have repeated this to you already. Uh, I've posted it on Facebook and Twitter. I tell all the young people I know. But he said something that I'll never, ever forget. And he's, he was talking to a young baseball player, and he said, the better person you are, the better baseball player you're going to be. Because people are going to want to give you opportunities mm. that they're not going to give to somebody else. And so if you're a good person, people are going to go out of their way to, you know, to, to, to help you out And 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 that extra thing Could be the thing that makes the difference And so, like, I, that I mean, really just struck a chord And I think about that in terms of, like How I act and how I present myself to other people And the, being respectful and being um, But also, like, on the, on the other side, too Of being generous and, like, you know Who are the people that I help out with? So the people that are, like, good people And who are really, like, you know Who are really grinding away at it But they're also, like, just decent human beings Sure you know? Yeah. So, um, so that's that, that. That was where you mentioned the baseball analogy. Just
0: reminded me of that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a great story. Um, and it's it's so true, right? It's so poignant. Um, now, on your Twitter, which is at Mickey Fisher seventy three, so follow Mickey on Twitter. Uh, you post you you posted a doc that actually describes how you pitched Reverie. Yeah. Um, to networks, and you guys should definitely check that out if you haven't already. Um, and, and be sure to tweet Mickey it. At Mickey Fisher73 and let him know that you read it and it helped you at all if you know if you oh, found something so, yeah. useful. Yeah. Um, but maybe you can just give us a little breakdown sure. about the process of pitching and developing a show like Reverie. You know, what that sure, was you
1: know, it was a little different than with Extant And by the way, like I preface all this by saying like it was just the way that it worked for me. Sure. You know, well, there's no one way to do anything. And this was just like I always feel like it's I wrote one about Extant after the fact. And I felt want to write one about pitching because I feel like any information's out there that helps demystify the process in some way or kind of like pull the curtain back a little bit. It's like, because, uh, you know, I believe what one person can do, another person can do. And so, um, so it's part of the impetus in like putting that stuff out there and like kind of helping like, you know, th- throw the ladder, uh, you know, to everybody else. Um, but in terms of like the difference between Pitching Accident and Pitching Reverie, uh, I wrote them both on spec, the scripts. Uh, after I wrote them uh wrote a sort of overview document for myself, which ends up being like the biggest part of the pitch mm-hmm. uh with excellent, I went through it with a showrunner uh who who we rewrote that document and refined it, added to it because I had a big creative partner and then we took it out to pitch it and uh but the script went out ahead of the pitch and so people anybody who had read the uh the pilot you know we went in and pitched basically the rest of the series uh in the meantime uh it sounds like the spec market was very like really uh uh, glutted with a lot of scripts and stuff, and so the the strategy this time going out was, let's go do the pitch in person first, and then the people who are still interested, then we'll leave them the script afterwards. You know, mm-hmm. try to get you, hopefully get them on the hook. Um, and so so basically, like the document that I that I wrote was going kind to of broke down the pitch, and it was like uh, the nuts and bolts of like opening with sort of why is this personal? Why do I feel like this is a story that I have to tell? Uh, why is it personal to me? Where did it come from? Because uh, I find that sort of always interesting and helpful, and for me and my experience, it came from um, the first time that I actually played with VR. Like, I, I've been reading a ton about it, and this this is basically almost like verbatim from the pitch, uh, <laughs> which is that I've been, there are companies like Facebook who are pouring billions of dollars into VR in the hopes that people like us are gonna to want to spend more time in it. Um, but I'd never really checked it out, never really played with it. So I ordered, I had a little time off after Mars, uh, or was like before Mars, actually, when I ordered it and started playing with it, um, And uh, Google Cardboard, and so like it's you know twenty dollar piece of cardboard, and you Mm -hmm. fold it up and you put your phone into it, and uh, I was by myself in the living room and and checked it out and like instantly transported to a different place, and it was so fun and so exhilarating that I remember like taking it off and thinking like, okay, if this gets like. If this is the silent movie days of this, when this gets really great, when it's fully immersive, when you can build whatever you want, who would want to come back? You know, like, and so right. we're we are doomed as a species. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, but also at the time, there was a lot of um, the, the, like seeing uh, you know, the lack of empathy, an erosion of empathy, sure. um, and there's a, there's a sort of general uh, anxiety about what these devices are doing to us and doing to, especially you know, like kids. Younger people, the fact that we're not having, uh, you know, real conversations as much these days, The right. people, you know, like aren't looking up enough, um, and I, I'm a little sort of in the middle about that because I am a technology nut. Um, I, t- I want to see the potential and the hope, uh, the hopeful, uh, sort of optimistic side of it, um, but also knowing that there are, you know, like we're not going to know the effects of this for a long time, and so really that kind of push and pull led me to writing the story, which is really about. Um, I think it's the thing that's sort of the core of a lot of stuff that I write, which is that, you know, technology is a tool and it's really in your choice and how you use it. And uh and so, um and but always at the heart of it, like the important thing is the is the actual human connection. And so that's out of that came this this story. Um and so that was really all a big part of the pitch. Uh and then broke it down in terms of like ha had pitched a little bit of the pilot and then the character arcs for the series, stuff I'd learned between Extant and Reverie in terms of my own, like how I pitched things. Uh, you know the first time around before i met greg walker who who was a season one showrunner of extant and who um, who really like carried the bulk of the pitching of that i learned a ton from him which is like there's so much more about the emotion and the character as opposed to like where i was coming from before which were like the dry plot moves and and assuming that oh well the character is the stuff i'll layer in after you know like that's the stuff that i you know i would imagine everybody would assume would be there but when you're pitching it uh that's the stuff that they really want to hear and so uh, that was kind of a lesson for me. Like it wasn't about the mythology or the cool twists and turns. It was about like what is the simple emotional journey that this character is going to undertake. Right. And so yeah. that is a lot more of what I lean to uh, into this time around. And um, and yeah, we got really lucky. And there was you know NBC. It uh, was um, I think it, it does kind of fit in the, in a uh, right in the middle of some of the, like. Between Timeless and This Is Us, there's a space where we are like the genre thing, but there's also this sort mm-hmm. of big, uh, empathetic, you know, squishy heart to it, too. Right. Not that Timeless doesn't have that. I'm sure it does. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but darn it, Mickey. I mean, at least, I want to say three or four times, uh, I must have got some dirt in my eye right. or something going on there. Chopping the me- onions. I mean, right, right. Yeah, there was something going on there. I don't know what was going on. There was something going on there. No, but I mean, it's really done well because it's easy to be too saccharine or too artificial too sort of or even the opposite too surfacey and too fake sure but i think you guys ran a nice balance and Thanks. and it uh I'm a, i mean
1: like i'm a heart of my sleeve kind of guy and i, yeah, I think i'm too. always sort of veer i always run the risk of being too sentimental too nostalgic too sappy um but i kind of feel like in this day and age like i i definitely like I've, 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 Work with people Or like You know Friends of writers who are Just have like A real aversion to that Anything that sort of Like you know uh, Smacks of sentimentality, Or right. you know Feels too earnest That they That's just not their voice And I've, I've kind of Had to accept that like That's just part of who I am And that's part Like yeah. part of these, What these stories Are going to be And so uh, And so As much as that, As much as I do Sort of like a Darker nihilistic edge And the things That I like to watch But tend, the, the things That tend to come out When I sit down to write Are a little more yeah, they're just a little more uh, hopeful, a little more optimistic. You know.
0: Well, I think that though, with with Reverie, it's a nice sort of blend, because there are elements of action. There's a lot of sort of that dark mystery underlying tones of you know what it is, and you know the gov- I mean, government. I don't know if I should, I'm not spoiling anything. No, no. no. Um, but there's little bits of humor that Sir Shahi, you know, who plays Mara Kent, there are little bits of humor in there. Um, the, the the there's that that sort of romantic that melodrama not, yeah. not necessarily romance but you know there's that yeah. you know the, 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 the you tug at the heartstrings and there's a lot of melodrama but it's all sort of woven together in a nice way that m- one you. doesn't sort of overshadow or take over the other they just kind of take, take different lanes of a highway almost Thank so it's you. nice well I mean again that's a huge testament to
1: like the you know the Thompson Georgie and the showrunner and the writing staff too I mean, sure. it's like we're all we're all kind of trying to stay navigate those lanes, and 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 because there is a there is a sort of variety of things that we're doing in every episode. Uh, you know, there's a serialized story. There are these relationships of, that are workplace relationships, you know, and the people uh, and the and personal relationships among the people that you care about. Um, and then there are the client stories, and like what's the reverie, and what's the mystery, and what's the serialized thing that's happening. And so, like, you know, balancing all that is, uh, you know, can drive us drive us up a wall at times, but. um but, I, but I'm really proud of the way that it sort of all comes together, and, and I think that uh, it's 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 weird. It's a unique show. It's a, like an, right. a unique recipe, uh, not for everybody. But I feel like that when when we when everything's firing right, it's like it's it's a really interesting
0: show. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, if if people gave it sort of a chance, like you view it, oh, it's a tech show, or you know, it's about you know VR, or it's about some without sort of. If you go into it, like I went into it because it's your show and it's like VR. It's like, okay, that sounds cool, but then it was not that it didn't have those elements, but it was so much more to it than that. Yeah. Which I don't think, like, if you enjoy shows like This Is Us or something like that, you yeah. You, there's something to be gleaned. It's
1: funny, we talk about. I mean, like, show. It's, it's so funny the shows that people talk about. Yeah. We talk about them too, like Quantum Leap. You know, was a little like very similar, like. Uh, you know, Fantasy Island. Like, more than one person has talked about Fantasy Island. I sort still like when I first went into Amblin and started talking about it. That's one of the shows that we talked about a bit, too. Because it's there is this sort of, like, underlying theme of, uh, uh the, the, I think it was Tom early on that kind of coined, like, the distance between want and need. You design these reveries thinking it's going to give you something that you want. But really right. what it does is surface an underlying need sure. that that Mara helps you realize and helps you meet. And so uh so any of those shows, I mean Fantasy Island, that was that was the core of Fantasy Island. Right. You know, you go there thinking this is what you want, but it actually like helps solve this other problem in your life. And uh and so yeah, I think it has a lot of it's, it's it has a lot of um
0: spiritual relatives in, in the TV, TV realm. Sure. Um and we were talking earlier and my description of sort of Westworld meets this is us but they're total opposite ends of that, that spectrum. Like Westworld and Reverie, they're both sort of these these fantasized versions of reality. They're not real. Neither yeah. one of them. Obviously, yours is VR, and Westworld is is android robots, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it really explores sort of the deepest, darkest, you know, depravities of of humankind. Whereas uh, Reverie is people, I mean, and there are dark reveries, although you really haven't explored too much of that yet, um, which, you know, I don't think you can have a technology that's not going to be exploited by mankind for less than, you yeah. know, pleasant purposes. It's inevitable. Right. Yeah. But, we, especially with your protagonist and, and what, you know, uh, uh, Mara is trying to do, it's, it's the best of humankind, trying to help others. So they they've very opposite ends of that spectrum, even though they're exploring a lot of the same sort of... Yeah, ideas. I definitely think so I think it's like There's
1: a You know, there are whole um, Areas of science fiction And genre shows That really deal with Like, you know, social issues I mean, The sure. Twilight Zone Is one of my favorite All-time shows And Rod Serling was There were a lot of You know, dealing with racism and, Yeah, Star Trek uh, Yeah, and Star Trek And that's yeah. the truth But I think the stuff I You know, that I've Tended towards Are the things that Are like, what are the Those basic questions About what it means To be human Right And And, and how are we changing And evolving With this technology And what are the challenges And like um, and I think yeah, it's like when I watch Westworld, they're they're digging, digging into the same questions of like the consciousness and the soul and all the and all that kind of stuff that I'm really interested in too. But we're taking two very different uh, angles at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and cra- what well, the crazy thing is, like we were out getting ready to take this out to sell it when the first season aired, and I was watching the first season and they have the, this concept of reveries, which are like the memories that were implanted in the hosts. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was watching that, and I was like, ah, damn it! Like I think. Am I going to have to change the title? So, like right. the Hamblin guys and I were like, you know, emailing each other that night. Like, are we going to have to change the title of the show? Like, this is terrible. I mean, ultimately, like yeah, nobody ever really brought it up, aside from a couple random people on the internet. But, uh, but in one, in one sense, I was like, oh, this is cool. Reverie is in a, uh in the zeitgeist. Right the word.
0: <laughs> right. Well, that's what the people um, always say. That if you are developing an idea and someone beats you to it, yes, it sucks that someone beats you to it. But at least you're on the right track. Yeah, you've got ideas that are you know, in the other people may be interested in. Right. You're in the collective consciousness. Absolutely. That, yeah. That's a more more uh, poetic way to say oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, you broke in in that sort of dream scenario with Extent. You sold a pilot. Um, it was actually developed, produced. It went, you know, it got picked up and even got a second season. Um, so you didn't come through the traditional r- route, not the... You know, obviously, the, in, in in television writing, screenwriting, there's no traditional route per se. But the route a lot of people go through, whether it's through fellowships, sure. being in a, a an assistant on a show, a writer's assistant, or a showrunner's assistant. Um, so you came in, sort of, you had to probably hit the ground running, so to speak. Yeah. If like you were thrust into it, didn't get time to sort of acclimate as much. And now I'm sure you had lots of people around you that you, you know, worked with and learned from. Um, but what are some of the things? Now, obviously, on your fourth or fifth show, sixth show, whatever, um, and having created your own shows, developed shows, what are some of the things now that you know that you didn't know then? Like think, misconceptions about what it is to be a TV writer. Things that you, you know, it's not just sitting at a computer writing.
1: No, no. I mean, I think there are there are things. I'll tell you one, like the the, the early one that I learned mm-hmm. um, that I think about all the time now too, is that. Is that when you get a note, or you can, you know, people raise questions? Like nobody's expecting you to know the answer, right? Or or to solve it in the room, you know, or on the notes call. Um, And I think that the first, because I felt like everybody's looking at me, like you know, with this question, like I got to jump in and you know, start talking and figure out the answer. And 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 uh, after doing that a couple times and like uh, talking yourself into a hole, or bombing, or you like feeling that sort of like uncomfortable, you know, like. uh, when you know it's not working and uh, and you're not fixing you're not coming up with a solution, instead you're just rambling. Um, when you do that in front of a couple people that you uh, or even one person that you really respect and admire, you remember it uh, <laughs> and it, and it's a lesson that stays with you, which is that you don't have to have the answer right there on the spot. You know, you can take time to think about it. You can. Nobody's going to fault you for saying, you know, that I, I hadn't really thought about that yet. Give me some time. You know, or even a pitch. You know, and I still I still have to remind myself of the room sometimes. Uh, Pitching you pitch an idea and somebody says Well where does that go You know You may not have worked it all out But sure. it's okay to say I haven't thought it through that far yet But maybe you know Go this or give me a second Or what do you think You know like I think um, And so that I had an instinct early on To feel like I, I, I'm i supposed to know the answers to this stuff right. And so I would start like scrambling to find one um, And so um so there are some lessons that I've learned i think there I mean there are some things I've learned from uh things I learned from the Amblin guys doing the pilot because I went through making the pilot uh Tom was consulting during it, but I went through without a showrunner through the production of the pilot and there was a point in Vancouver when we're shooting uh getting ready to shoot and we're going through like costume approvals makeup and, you know, pictures dude, sending stuff back down here to uh to the network and 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 getting getting stuff approved and uh and you know, like when it comes to like you know, makeup and hair Wardrobe like I, I'm, I don't have natural instincts for that stuff um, And so being able to like Have a partner like the, the, the Amblin Folks there um, Justin and Daryl and Alex who do know those things really well uh, And I said, I think it was with Justin I was like, I, I was like I'm so glad you're here Because I would not have known to ask those questions I would not have known how to do it And he was like you don't have to like, no, Nobody expects you to know all that stuff right now Focus on the things that you do well and 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 don't be afraid to you know reach out and say like I don't know or I need help and that and so like that um, that's been super helpful to have people like that and I and I've had that relationship with the showrunners that I've worked with so far too which is uh, to me I'm sure some people like coming from my experience get this and go okay this is my chance I want it's like my ball and and I want to like you know push my vision through uh, but I. Needed partners. I needed people who were more experienced to help navigate and help guide through. Uh, and it had to be their show as much as it is mine. And so that's been, always been my uh, method of operation through the first two seasons of accident. Well, the only two seasons of Exident, uh and the season of reverie, which is once I have a show running partner, it's like what, how, w- learning from them at every turn. I mean, every day during during the production of Reverie, Tom would do or say something without go, I would never have even known to ask that question. Mm-hmm. You know, like, <laughs> or I would not have known that we could ask that question right. or that it was possible to, you know, request this. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I think it's just sort of being open to, you know, to learning. I'm trying to think of some other big things that I've learned. I mean, I think one of the things that I uh, learned working on The Strain and... Working on, uh, I got to do uh, a bit of time working on season two of Jack Ryan, and 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 it's a lesson that I always I always think about this now. Everything every time I sit down to write, which is like just grounding the the emotional truth of the scene. Because when you're working in certain like these heightened genre things, it's sure. easy to get it's it's really easy for things to get too big, too campy, you know, too quick. Um, but if you really like try to boil down, what's the honest character moment? What's the simple sort of emotional story? um then the uh the juxtaposition of those two things, like that with the the sort of genre elements of it, uh can really create something special. And so that's something that I've learned, uh, over the course of it. And then going back to the thing that I was sort of talking about before with um, with pitching, and all I mean it all comes down to that too. What's the simple emotional story for the character. And and now I think about that a lot more. If I can say that in one sentence, uh then I find that I'm I, I'm much better at, uh Able to to break that episode, to write that episode, uh, to write that feature, and you know, whatever it is. Like so, so there's some of the big things I've learned. Um, I'm sure there's tons more. <laughs> <laughs> like every every like week or so, I'm thinking like I wish I'd been keeping a journal all this time about this stuff. But it's just like it's the last thing I'd want to do at the end of a, a week of a room. But like uh, like Doogie Hauser, you know, like this is all the stuff
0: I learned today. Here are the lessons. But. I, well, Duke House was a doctor. That. If he can do it, no. It's, just true. it's true. And he was like a kid. He, right? yeah, he was like, <laughs> so, yeah, How old was he? Like 14 yeah, or yeah, something? Yeah, 14, 16. Something like that? I don't even remember. Um, something that you just mentioned uh, in terms of uh, the things that you learned that you didn't know. Um, and you learning questions. you know, having questions that you didn't know were questions even. Like you didn't yep. know to ask that question. And this is coming from somebody who's been on a number of shows, uh, created you know, multi, two shows and developed, you know, helped develop Mars, and so the fact that you don't have all of the answers, the fact that you, there are questions to ask that you didn't even know, or things you, you didn't know to ask. Right, which the Rumsfeld, like you don't know what you don't know, that whole thing. Right. Right. <laughs> but that, the unknown knowns. But yeah. that's, I think, one of the the things I think a lot of newer writers they sort of get ahead of themselves, and they, again, they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And so taking the time to, you know. Learn the craft and, and, and you know, find another way into the industry or, or do as much research as you can So that there are fewer and fewer questions that you don't know to ask Because we're always learning, we're always growing And I think that, you know
1: Yeah, and there's, I mean, it's, to a certain extent I think some of that stuff is just, like, having access to the process And sure. having a, having, uh, being a fly on the wall in the process Because until you're in it, until you're on a, sort day-to-day production uh, And 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 learning from somebody who is i mean unless you're like uh you know preternaturally gifted you know in some way or, like I don't know how you would come up with some of these questions, but for instance, like uh over the course of our uh break in the season, Tom had this great idea, which is like what's break one standalone episode 'cause and and one thing that's not tied to the serialized story, so that if we have to shift things around um you know, the either airing order or, for whatever reason, production order, that we can do that. And that's something I was like, oh, that is a brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it ended up being, like, and for production-wise, it ended up being really great. Because it gave us a little time for another episode that was more serialized. And, um, and, again, that's something that I don't think I would have learned unless I'd been with somebody who'd been through the process a number of times. And in the middle of it, because when you're on the outside, when you're writing, like, you know, when you're writing your first spec or when you're entering these contests and stuff... Um, those aren 't things you could really foresee you could you could read stuff like i 've read all the, you know all these books about show running and you know difficult men all these you kind of learn from history that way but um sort of on, on a nuts and bolts day to day production there are just there are lessons every day like sure. that you know and uh, but i still i mean I, I, I never I try to never stop learning like i 'm reading a book right now uh, called into the woods and it 's about structure like narrative structure. And written by a guy who was a, a British television producer, um, and and so I'm always sort of trying to learn new paradigms, new ways of looking at it, um, and like people I follow on Twitter, you know, guys like Jeffrey Lieber people like mm-hmm. that, or uh, Jennifer Hudson, people who are writers who have been in it for a while who who are really freely uh, sharing their knowledge, and I learn tons of stuff from those folks too. And so right. I'm always sort of looking for the for the lessons. And in fact, I'm, uh, Jeffrey Lieber posts these. Uh, the, Showrunners runner yeah, show showrunner rules yeah. and like i have thought of those a lot, like you know like on a day to day basis those have come up and so uh yeah, I think that that's just part of the part of the job I think if you it's uh it's, to me it's like that's kind of what I do in my free time too because I love the job, but I also it's like it's the stuff I'm interested in and love the most, right so hopefully if that's the case, then you're always learning and you're always
0: improving and then you get to the point where you're where you're passing that knowledge on to somebody else right. Uh, and just since you'd mentioned Jeffrey Lieber, he's been on the podcast before. If you're interested in listening to Jeff's one of Jeff's, I've listened been to I've listened to Jeff's episode. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Having you back on the podcast for the third or fourth time, uh, being a much more experienced writer, um, from your perspective, then when we first had you on versus now, um, for especially for a lot of newer writers who have never been in a working writers' room, um, what are some Things that a new staff writer or a, a new writer in that room, what should they know? What should they come be come prepared to do? What should they expect?
1: Oh man, I feel like there are so many people who have, uh, you know, people like the kind of people we're talking about, or like Amy Berg or people like that who sure. post stuff yeah. like this. That uh, I feel like they have a much more uh, sort of holistic view of this um, because I and also because I didn't quite come in. Um, the same way Like I came up right. With my own show So I, I As the creator Of the show I, uh, I Give myself A little more freedom To just like Break the ice And to say the, You know To say what I think Is the bad idea uh, You know Quickly And just to get You know Like break the log jam Or like um. Okay well Let me, so, let me flip it then Yeah Oh no You are going to say something? Well I was going to say But when I go On somebody else's show Which I've yeah. done A couple of times sure. too Like I feel like I do face the same Sort of mental things Where uh, Um you know, like, there the first six weeks of The Strain, I was, like, sure that I was going to get fired, like, that day. Because, like, <laughs> you know, like, and I'm sure that anxiety of, like, I don't quite, I don't feel like I'm quite getting it yet because it was the final season. And, you know, there was a lot, of, like, I felt like quite, like, getting the voice of the show. And I think it's, uh, but the more that you listen and the more that you see what's working and the more that you um, uh, try to outwork it. I, you, you, like, and and to me, that's just sort of my uh, method of operation, too, is, like, reading you know, going back and reading all the books and reading the graphic novels of it, and and watching all the you know like the you know, the episodes that had come before, and reading all the material. Um, I just try to outwork it, and then uh, as quickly as I can feel get try to get the voice of the show. You know, like you, and and sometimes this is a matter of triangulation. It's like you're gonna pitch something that's too broad or pitch something that's too. Um, but once you find it, then you can kind of feel it, and you're like stay in that zone. Um, I think so much of it is just like about making yourself useful, making yourself helpful. Like the, I know that the, the assistants and the people we've had um, that have really been been there to say, or like um, saw the problem in advance that we didn't even know was coming up. But they were looking ahead and saw it and say, "Here's this thing," or uh, you know, "Hey, we'll write this." Um, you know, the text that the art department needs for the monitors yeah you know, we'll jump in and do that and um, and anything that you can do that, I think it also just helps to like make yourself useful and and uh, and really kind of like fill out the edges of the things that the that the showrunner needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean so that's the kind of stuff, but again, like I, said, I think that there are people who came up through the, the people who did come up through the ranks and also the people who have been in
0: rooms a lot more than I have have better answers for that than I do. okay, well, I mean, just flipping it again now, yeah. you having been a show creator. Um, you know, and and having your own shows for a potential staff writer coming in, sitting in front of you, what what are you looking for? I mean, I definitely think when you're because it starts with you reading the material. Sure. You know,
1: like you're reading the. Um, and mostly we're reading specs. We're not reading uh, like original pilots. We're not reading uh, specs for other shows. Um, I would think over the last over three seasons of of reading for staffing. I read one or two of those um, a season, you know, that were specs of existing shows. And so I think primarily you're looking for that writer that has a voice, you know, that can grab you, that um, that uh, th- that is able to, I don't know, to really, like, hook you and make you feel something. And I feel like everybody has different strengths. And so, like, and that's part of being in the writer's room is finding your what your strength is. Are you the person that, uh, you know, great at action? Are you the person that's great with the... You know the crazy off the wall idea. Are you are you a great dialogue writer? Are you a great and so I think that there are your person who can come up with a ton of ideas. Are you the person that like one you know one every two hours, but you're able to, to tie it all together? Um, I feel like everybody has different superpowers mm-hmm. um, and finding that finding your own thing. But I feel like when we're sitting down to meet people, it's so much just about like personality and, and uh, you're when you're putting together a writers room, it's almost like casting a show. You know, and, and so for us, like season one of Exident, it was about, and really, sort of, sort of all of the above. Uh, all three seasons of the shows, uh, we're not looking just for sci-fi writers. You know, we're looking for people who write drama, people who are just great character writers, mm-hmm. um, people who, uh, for for reverie, we needed people who had been on procedurals, you know, who who knew the procedural moves and who had a feel for that sort of weekly engine, um, and so. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that you're looking for, but I think honestly just the more it's like mostly just like be yourself, but like the smartest, best version of yourself, you know, I, uh, and, I, and it's easy to be sort of nervous and talk too much or try too hard, and I've done that on uh, interviews I've gone out with, particularly for shows that I'm a fan of. Uh, I remember one that I just was like, I was just happy to have the meeting because I love the show, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that I like, you know, was way too, you know, fanned out uh, while I was while I was in the meeting, uh, didn't get the job. Um but I think it's more just about just be relaxed and being yourself. And if if there are things that you love uh, about it, things that you're interested in, ideas that you're keyed on, um, that's great. You know, if you have a passion for it, if you have a passion for the show, that's um, I think that really uh, makes a huge difference. Um, and if you have ideas, you know, like if you're coming in, like have you thought about doing something like this or, or an episode where you could... Uh, I think that's always great i don't, I don't expect anybody to come and you know pitch me a ton of ideas in the staff- in the staffing meeting mm-hmm. um but if somebody you know has an insight into it that i hadn't thought of i that's always i think very cool mm-hmm. um yeah and so yeah those are always they're interesting because it really is just about like putting together a group of people who you know you're gonna sit in a room with for months you know six eight hours a day for months and uh and and, and and different strengths different voices different personalities hopefully they're all gonna click hopefully they're all good people uh you know it helps to have a you know no asshole policy uh, so, <laughs> right. you know, uh, so that as you're meeting people which is whichever is in their best behavior in a meeting so you may not learn that till later but um but yeah I mean that that kind of stuff I think the biggest thing is just like if you if you have a passion for a genuine passion for your reading uh
0: and the show that you're going out for I think that will. Shine through mm-hmm. um, Is it Different from your perspective Or how is it different I should say Going out for A show that's established That there are multiple seasons And how do you prepare for that Versus You get a pilot Someone else's pilot I don't know if you've Gotten No you not yet Just get someone's well, pilot Mars And you're like was Meeting like,
1: on that The Mars room was interesting Because it, it had been up and running For a little while Before I got in it Okay But um so when I went out for Mars, Mars was kind of an interesting situation because the writers room had been up and running for a little while. They'd actually had a group of people who um, had gotten started with uh, laying down the foundation for the season, but it was still kind of new and, 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 and new in the sense of like creating kind of a new format where it was part documentary, part narrative. Um, there were interviews, talking heads, so there's really a lot of experimentation and figuring it out. Whereas the strain, it was they'd had three seasons of material before, and so that was like really felt like trying to catch a runaway train. Which is probably why I felt like I was going to get fired all the time, because <laughs> like you know like you're binging all the material and and reading everything and watching it, and I really and I love the show and love the core like the the um, the just the core mythology of it and the characters, um, but there was so much material, and so like you know when you're when you're Going through that quickly And then your writer's room And then your pitching stuff You know A lot of times You're going to Pitching stuff Like yeah we did that In season two Episode six <laughs> You know sure. And you go Ah yeah okay uh, And so that's That's sort of the difference It always felt like I was really trying to catch up And it was like Six weeks in Where I was like Okay I feel like I have a handle On the story We're telling this season And the characters Which is you know Which is which is late uh, But it, that was That was when I finally Started feeling like Really confident Like I, okay I feel like I get it You know mm-hmm. uh, and had been like really just trying to catch up till then, so that was a little, it was a little more anxiety producing.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, now, uh, going, just going back quickly because it just came to my head, um, have there been any people we don't have to name names obviously, or even get too descriptive of it when you meet them uh, for one of your shows, when you meet a potential writer producer for your show that really impressed you in what they did or really turned you off or did something that was just? Not necessarily, uh, or something that you know. Was. Yeah,
1: and I, I mean, I can't really think of anybody that's like done something like str- like you know, nobody's come in and be like, well, you know what the problem with your pilot is, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, I'm sure that's happened. I'm, sure, you oh, know, I'm like, sure Somebody comes in who's like, you know, uh, you know, there are some underlying issues here that I feel like you know we could really, I could really help you out with. Um, that would be like a little bit of a. Uh, a, t- a deal breaker Right um, But in terms of Like in terms of I- I- Impressing I feel like it's more Just like Clicking with that person's You know Personality And their sense of humor And their I mean I'll tell you The one thing that can be A little like Off-putting sometimes Is if somebody complains About their last gig You know Or complains oh. about other people They work with A little too much Like a little bit of Like shop talk And that I feel is You know Perfectly understandable But if You know If If if, if I've seen that They've been on a show That I loved And I bring it up And like Oh well that was a nightmare Because you know then that, then you're like, ah, is, it, is that specific to that situation, or is that just this person? Right. Are they going to talk about me that way when it's over, when this is over with? Um, uh, but in terms of like the impressing part, I think it's mostly just like, you know, if if people really have read the pilot and they have moments that they like, and moments that they, and it's inspired some thought with them, or you know, there have been a couple people who have come through. I can't think of, sp- I'm trying to think of a sp- specific example, but somebody who brought up something that I hadn't even really thought of, like. Uh, that's in the pilot but was totally unconscious or they drew a connection that I just never really intended but that I thought was very cool um, that's happened a couple times and so uh, I mean I think so much of it is just really about like preparation you know it's just like reading it backwards and forwards um, and in fact there's a book called backwards and forwards that's a great book to read for writers if you have if you've ever read it okay. uh, it's it's a it's more about plays but it's a it's one of those great uh, great structural books and sort of about script analysis and um, and I feel like if you know if people have done that and they know it like the back of their hand, uh, that's that's always a good sign. And uh, yeah, and it's it's more just like general
0: personality stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we've talked a little bit about reverie. We've talked about writers' rooms and, and breaking in and all that kind of stuff. Um, now for some serious questions. Yeah. Um, if S- Steven Spielberg came to you and wanted you to write a biopic. And your choices were Mickey Mouse, yeah, uh, Mickey Mantle, or Mike Hammer creator author Mickey Spillane. Who would you choose?
1: Oh man, I mean Mickey Spillane would be great because there's like there, are, uh, genre things you could sub, you know you could subvert expectations. You could use the noir you know sort of elements to tell it. Um, that would be pretty interesting. Mickey Mantle is a good classic sports movie. Uh, if you. Mickey Mouse. I mean, I think that is kind of interesting because there's a whole relationship with Walt. There's a whole underlying mythology. You know, who was Mickey when the camera stopped rolling? You know, like a little like Who Framed Roger Rabbit? You know, version of it. That would probably be the one uh, with the most creative leeway. I'm going to say Mickey Mouse. Okay, yeah. good choice.
0: <laughs> um, you've created shows based on both of these topics: AI and virtual reality. Which one do you think is most likely to destroy humanity, and why? I mean, the, look, it's I feel like an even bet at this point. Like one of the <laughs> one or the other. I mean, I
1: don't think I don't think virtual reality could. I, I mean, I think virtual reality is going to sort of like a slow erosion of. Uh, it could be that slow erosion of uh, empathy, but but I do think there is something that's like it's never really going to replace human connection. So I'm not so worried about that. Um, the AI, I think, a little more like there are people who are more worried about it, like you know Stephen Hawking, people like that, Elon Musk, people who mm-hmm. are. Uh, I, so I'm, and and I think there's a variety of ways that they could outpace us um, if we don't if we don't equip ourselves and speed up and 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 invest it in our survival. Like was we always talk about an accident, which is like. As long as we invest them in our survival, as long as they need us, then then we're good. Um, I'm going to go with AI. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, like uh, you know, Elon Musk and those. I mean, when you look at those like Boston Dynamics videos, where they're well, for here one, I tell you this. Like, I have an Alexa at home because mm-hmm. I'm a technology buff and early adopter, and like, I don't talk to anybody the way I talk to Alexa. I bark commands at it all day long, right? So I come home and I'm like, Alexa, read notifications. Alexa, stop. And I'm just a jerk to it From like morning till night Couple that with The boss dynamics people Who are like Creating these robots That they're kicking Pushing over You know Like they're teaching The open doors But they're shoving them Over broomsticks I feel like the combination Of those two things I feel like we're kind of Like we're doing ourselves Yeah we're screwed We're screwed We're screwed (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh,
0: Okay one more um, Writing type question I just wanted to, to Throw your way What is for you, the the best part about being a writer in the television space, and what do you think has what for you at least has been the most challenging or difficult? I mean, the best part for me is always just being able to sit down and
1: write. Sure. I mean, anytime I get to that point of the process, even if it's in like story area or an outline or a script, um, anytime I get to sit down and write uh, is the best part of the thing of the whole thing. Um, and then I will say, anytime I get to once something ends, or like on the weekends, writing something new is my favorite part. Because anytime I'm sort of working on new stuff and figure out problems, once you know like, once mid-season of Reverie, the writer's room is up and running, uh, scripts are in various stages, and I'm working on the, you know, finale or something like that, um, I know those characters in that world really well, and, so, and I've been living in it all day long. And so on weekends, it's kind of a vacation to, you know, think about something new or to... Um, uh you know what's the next thing what's the next world in that so like those are my two parts. the writing is still always like my favorite part of it uh, i mean the most challenging part i think is still um the most challenging part is still really elevating my uh my bar in terms of like uh, the the edits that come in the um answering the notes and stuff like that too because when you 're when you 're making like micro budget films for you know a little bit of money and uh, and you're and really scrambling to make things happen and you 're dealing with all kinds of production problems, when you sit down to watch a director 's cut of a show that that you know a network has spent a few million dollars on you 're like, man, this is pretty great you know because it looks like a real show um, but but there are issues and story problems and things and and there are always ways to make it better. So I think uh, to me, training myself to sit down and go every day, like, how can I make this better? How can I make this script better? How can I make this cut better? Uh, until the point that somebody takes it out of your hands and makes you stop. Or, you know, or a certain point. Like, you have to let it go because it's a production train. Right.
0: Um,
1: I think that that part is the most challenging. It's like uh, m- raising my expectations to uh, to my ambitions and, and um, you know, making those things line up. Um, because there was still like You know i look at something Like ah It's, it's pretty good uh, And then you get a note From the network And you're like Oh yeah Yeah that is a problem you know? <laughs> Right And so uh,
0: Or yeah So that happens All the time So LeBron James Yeah Is he uh, A heel For leaving Ohio Or is he a hero Coming to your new Adopted home Of Los Angeles I mean I'm excited To go see him I'm not really A sports fan
1: But I feel like I did get the chance When I, I lived in Chicago For a year and I got to see Michael Jordan play. Oh, I get really? to see with, with uh, Scottie Pippen and Dennis. R- I got to see all those guys at, and Steve Kerr. Uh, so, if, and I remember that to this day. What it was like watching that and the feeling of it. So I'm excited to see him here. Um, man, he did a lot for Ohio. Like I don't think Ohio. Like, I don't think there can be any hard feelings from uh, from anybody. From just, I think it should be all gratitude.
0: No burn burning LeBron jerseys for no, you. No, 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 <laughs> not at all. Now, lastly, uh, what? What what advice do you have for the writers out there so they can be next in line to uh, join one of your shows or be the I next would just be say the next like, Mickey
1: Fisher Just don't stop coming up new stuff keep keep writing new ideas new new ideas new scripts fresh you know fresh specs I feel like that that was the thing that always kept me going you know like I even I would send one thing out and and it, and I'm I'm I, I may be at that point again very soon um i didn't i didn't stop once we finished post on uh reverie on this season uh i jumped in the new stuff and trying to ke- keep turning through new ideas and and put down a, uh so to be ready if you know we get that call and they're like hey thanks for the memories no second season then i've got something new that i'm ready to go out with Sure. um so i would say that it's whether you're uh At any stage of the game, if you're just Breaking in and you're sending stuff out, you're entering Contest, you've got scripts up on the blacklist uh, The first Question you're going to get in all these uh, Well, not the first question, but like Very early on in the series of questions when you get into these Meetings, it's going to be, what else do you have? And so, the more that you have and the more that's in the Vein of the thing that got you in the door, the better So I would just say, like, just keep At it, and and I always tell people, like I feel like in c- certain ways my story has you know, maybe doomed some people because they're going to stay in it longer than, you know. The, like a, because they, but I feel like it does happen. And people will say, like, well, Contest won't do anything. Or, um, you know, like it's one in a million. And yes, it, it is, I'm sure. But, but it, it does happen. And so I think the more, that you, um, the more that you're writing new stuff and the more that you're putting out there, the better your odds.
0: Right. You're a sci-fi guy you know, you're sort of known for that. Now you've branched out and done a little bit of horror-ish with The Strain yeah. and, you know, other things. Uh, and, you know, you're doing a little bit of action-y stuff with Jack Ryan, you know, uh, spy stuff. But generally speaking, you know, on the list of sci-fi TV writers, yeah, you know, you're on that list. Um, and we were talking earlier and you said you're okay with that, which is cool because I, uh, I think the the problem with a lot of newer writers... Who feel like they want to try different things, and they haven't necessarily, possibly, found their voice yet, and they have, or they they feel that the industry wants uh, a well-rounded writer who can write drama and comedy and action and this and that. Um, what do you say to that? I mean, I, I, well, I I put this thing in this
1: uh, the PDF I wrote about Exton. I think it told the story, but you know, I had done that. I had a, a drama. I had written a comedy. Like I had just before the. Um, the placing of this contest with Extent, I had won this feature contest for that the Writer's Store had held, uh, and that was a comedy. And so, I, I had that. I had uh, a crime fiction thing that I had put up on the blacklist I had this animated history of Christmas story that I written with a friend of mine. Um, and so, uh, feature. And so, I had, had I had a well-rounded you know, uh, uh, collection of uh, of work. But when I mentioned that to this you know one manager that I met with early on. Uh, they were like, you know, it sounds like you don't really know who you are I can't really sell you as uh, this crime fiction person If you're already writing this other stuff And so uh, I, I made the decision to pick a lane And mm. and stay in it And I think that for a while you kind of have to do that And I, I, like, People are going to put you in that box anyway Sure And so I feel like if you pick that lane get Box, lane, whatever it is Get really good at it um, But there are always going to be other things I'm interested in And so I kind of feel like until I really feel the need to sit down Like I... I love crime fiction. Uh, you know, Elmore Leonard, Carl Heiss, like those are some of my favorite writers. I would love to write a spec like that, um, but until I'm really motivated to sit down and write that and try to break out of the box that I'm in, um, I, I need to be I, I do the thing that I love. Right. So for me, it was like I was talk, I always talk about this because I really feel like the writer you you know they talk about finding your voice, and I really feel like you find your voice. I found my voice when I found my voice when I put. The, the stories, the kind of stories, the themes I want to talk about in the movies that are the TV shows that I would really want to watch and um and those tend to be genre shows they tend to be science fiction supernatural, they tend to be uh, not so much horror, but like in the sort of fantasy that that realm and so when I did that that's when things really clicked for me and so um and it's still working and so I feel like until I really feel like that urge to to sit down and write a western uh I'm gonna I'm gonna ride that out. So I would say to other people too, like if you're in that same vein, if you know if you have like whatever your best script is, it's the thing that you think is gonna get you in. I would at least have one more thing that's in that zone mm-hmm. uh, when you're ready to go, because that's gonna be what they ask you. And it's like, well, what's the, you know what's the thing that broke you in? Well, it's like it's Inception. And if your next thing is uh, Something about Mary It's like Those are two <laughs> different right, things yeah. You know uh, So it's, hopefully it's Something more like uh, Memento You know
0: so. Right so. Right Absolutely Well thanks for joining us Mickey I Thanks for having me We appreciate it Check out Reverie Wednesday night ten nine central NBC Follow Mickey on Twitter At Mickey 73 um, And check out his How he p- His pitch document On Reverie as well Which is Very helpful Thank you Always awesome talking yeah, to you, Thanks. Thanks right. for having me. And so check out our website, scriptsandscribes.com. We've got a lot of stuff, Nikki's previous podcasts. Leave us some questions on Twitter at ScriptScribes or send us an email at, or ask at scriptsandscribes.com. And we'll see you next time.
1: Thanks. Taking over the universe when I'm using words. Every time I do the work, I believe in a stupid hurt. You was right, I'm going crazy when I do the verse. But it do not matter, Mad Hatter, I'm feeling like a zebra. Little shoulder shake, kicking like I'm taking name. Started taking names ever since I made a change. Went from body daddy to body, I play the game. Every player's major pain. Drill them, then I.